Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow Church app or visit our website at overflowdfw.com. Hey, well, hey, we're continuing our series today called Crossworthy, and we're going to take a little bit of a different slant on it today. We're calling it Resurrection Worthy. How many of you know that you're not just crossworthy, you're actually resurrection worthy? But we can't talk about the resurrection without first talking about the cross, which we've been talking about. But I want to revisit some of those thoughts. See, we're talking about Jesus Christ, the only perfect man the world has ever known. He stood a criminal's trial, an innocent man judged for the crimes of humanity. He endured a brutal flogging in which half of his body was shredded to the bone. Jesus, we're talking about Jesus, God in the flesh, humiliated by his own creation, beaten beyond recognition and crowned with toxic thorns. He was ridiculed by public nakedness as he carried the weight of punishment intended for the vilest of sinners. Jesus, the Messiah, beaten and humiliated by the world he came for. The slaughtered lamb demonstrates compassion towards those that drove the nails through his hands and his feet. Jesus managed several choice words in the final moments as he suffocates upon that cross. Words that History hinges upon words that, if trusted, will transform the trajectory of our life. Words of forgiveness. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Words of completion. It is finished. But, beloved, the greatest words that were spoken in this moment in history were the words not by Jesus, but by two angels that said, He is not here. He is risen. Those are the words that transform your life. Beloved, I'm here to tell you today that if all Jesus did was come and die for you, I could offer you no hope. But because this man died and rose again, we can have hope forever. We can have hope for eternity. He is risen. I want to share a little bit today from the book of John chapter 20. We're going to actually be talking about three different characters that were followers of Jesus that show up looking for Jesus post-resurrection. That Sunday morning, 2,000 years ago, when we talk about Sunday, you know, there's, there's a lot of people that will try to kind of bend your arm and try to get you to follow an old Mosaic law. How many know that we're under a new covenant? Thank you, Jesus. And they'll say, well, you need to worship on Saturday. Saturday's the Sabbath. Why do Christians worship on Sunday and not Saturday? Because Christians celebrate the resurrected Christ, come on, who issued a new covenant. So the reason why we worship on Sundays is because Sundays speaks of the new. Sunday speaks of a, a new a new era when Jesus rose from the dead on a Sunday, but it also speaks of a new week. Come on, how many know that his mercies are new? every morning. And he wants you to enter into a, a, a new covenant, a new relationship that speaks of freshness. Come on, are you tracking? So John chapter 20, early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene. Now, Mary Magdalene was one of Jesus' disciples. We don't think of her being one of Jesus' disciples because we just think of the 12 apostles. But Mary Magdalene is mentioned more than some of the other apostles that we have in the scripture. Mary was a woman that Jesus delivered of seven demons. And she starts following Jesus, and she's mentioned all throughout his ministry. And it says this, that she came to the tomb. She was in mourning and found that the stone had been rolled away 
from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. Now, the one whom Jesus loved, that's John. He's writing the story. He's, you know, he's kind of, yeah, <laughs> Jesus loved me. And so he wrote that instead of using his name there. And so she found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, John. And she said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He stopped and looked and saw the linen wrappings laying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. And he also noticed the linen wrappings lying there. While the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and laying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first, John also went in and he saw and believed. He saw and believed. For until then, they still hadn't understood the scripture that said Jesus must rise from the dead. Then they went home. We have two reactions during this part of the narrative. We see the reaction from the disciples. And I, and I love that there's an anticipation about them, that they're running and John outruns Peter and Peter shows up exhausted. And they believed. They saw and they believed. And they, I believe that they rejoiced. I, I think there was something in them. They were like, oh, it was, it, Jesus wasn't just figuratively speaking about rising from the dead. He's, he's a literalist. Jesus really meant he was going to rise from the dead. He's, he's gone. He's not here. And then we see this woman named Mary who has no hope in this moment, who's, who's discouraged and finding it a little hard to believe. Have you ever been there? You find it hard to believe. Sometimes you, you find it hard to believe the words of Jesus. Sometimes you, you have a hard time believing the, the testimony of, of the disciples that we have right here. You know, there's a, a BBC, BBC poll that came out uh, just in recent weeks. It says 46% of Christians in the UK, only 46% believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Only 46% Christians now, I don't think you can be a Christian and not believe in the resurrection. It is, what our gospel, it is what Christianity is founded upon, not just the cross, but the resurrection. You can't follow Christ if he's dead. That's not the kind of relationship that we're in. But sometimes it's hard to believe. Believing can be hard. But, beloved, I'm telling you, we have reason to believe that Jesus is indeed Alive, We have the reasons of, of the, the eyewitness testimony of four historical books that we call the Gospels. How many know that when your, your Bible was put together from a bunch of different books that were written, you have four separate accounts in your Bible from four different men who had eyewitness accounts. In fact, they believed what they saw so much that they gave their lives for their testimony. Why would you give your life for something you knew to be a lie? Now, people die for lies all the time. But to know it's a lie and die for it, that's foolish. Four testimonies. Not only do we have the four testimonies, we have this, the other scriptures that speak of the resurrection of Jesus. We have Paul, who is, a, who is a hater of Christians, who is a hater of Christianity. He encounters the risen Christ, and then he becomes a Christian, the one that he is trying to kill, and then he dies for Jesus. Not only do we have Christian and, and sacred sources, if you will, but we also have 
secular sources. There's secular sources out there written about the time that, that Jesus was resurrected that all confirm the reality that Jesus was indeed alive, that Jesus appeared to people after his resurrection. Historical facts. Did you know that, that the world has been trying to disprove Christianity for 2,000 years? The world's been trying, but do you know what? They've never been able to find a fault in the Bible. They've never been able to say the Bible is not historical. They've never been able to say the, the Bible does not have archaeological proof. They said, no, 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 actually, all these things confirm what we already thought about the Scripture, that the Scripture is actually God's Word, and these testimonies that are written in the Scripture are actually valid and legit. We can actually put trust in these accounts, these eyewitness testimonies of these men. So, so believing sources and unbelieving sources, even the enemies of Christianity. Did you know the reason why, the, that, why persecution was so intense during the church during this time? It's because they wanted to shut people up for what happened because they feared that if people knew that Jesus was really alive, that people would still follow him. So they tried to kill the church out. But the word endures. The word can be trusted. But the greatest evidence, the greatest evidence of all that Jesus Christ is alive today is that there's a tomb in Israel that's empty. There's a tomb they've been looking for the remains. They can't find the remains of Jesus because I'm telling you what happened is the Holy Spirit went into that dead body and resurrected Jesus and he lives forever. Jesus said, listen, he, listen, he's not just crossworthy, he's resurrection worthy. In fact, the scripture tells us this, that Jesus is alive, that he is in heaven, a physical man in heaven with elbows and earlobes standing before the Father, making intercession. He lives for you. He lives to make intercession for you. Now, there's been all these kind of crazy theories that come out. Well, Jesus wasn't really dead. And they, there's a theory called the swoon theory that says, well, Jesus was actually just sleeping. And he woke up after three days after being brought to the point of death, being confirmed dead on the cross. All these other things are supposed to kill him. Yet he got up from the grave. He wasn't dead. He was just asleep. Moved a several tons stone out of the way, overpowers two Roman guards, and goes into hiding. It's called the swoon theory. It doesn't make much sense. Then the other one is, well, the disciples stole the body of Jesus, and they hid his body so nobody would know. Why would someone die for something they knew to be a lie? Foolishness. See, if all Jesus did was die, I could offer you no hope today. But because he is alive, I can offer you eternal hope. If all we have is a history lesson to play tribute to an event. And I love Easter. And I love that people, if they're going to go to church, they're going to go on Easter. I love that. I love that our culture says, you know what? We're going to go to church on Easter. If we don't go one other time, we're going to go. But beloved, we're not just here to look and recognize a historical thing that happened. We are here to encounter a man that is living before the Father, who you are on his mind, that he wants to have relationship with you, that he wants connection with you, that he wants to be a part of your day. Jesus says this in John chapter chapter 11, verse 25, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. I don't just resurrect people. I wasn't just resurrected. I am the resurrection. And if you will come to me and you will believe, you will experience resurrection life. 
anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Because he's resurrected, you too will be resurrected. Beloved, you'll be resurrected from your troubles. You'll be resurrected when the world beats you down. You'll be resurrected from, from the trials and the tribulations that happen in this life. You will be resurrected. But let me tell you this, even death can't hold you down. Even death can't hold you down. I love the way the Apostle Paul says it this way. He says, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, grave, where is your sting? You don't have any hold on me. i got the resurrected Christ, the same spirit in me. I will get up. He got up. I'll get up. Even death can't hold me down. Beloved, it is not enough just to encounter the facts. We love the facts. We love the reasons. It is not enough to know the facts. You must encounter the man. And the reason you're here today is not to pay tribute and sing a few songs and dress up fancy and get a couple of pictures and check the Easter box. The reason you're here today is to encounter the resurrected king, the king of kings, Jesus. Beloved, he has a life for you. He has a life for you. He has life for you. Second Timothy 1.10 out of the message translation says, Since the appearance of our Savior, nothing could be plainer. Death defeated. Life vindicated in a steady blaze of light. All through the work of Jesus. See, Jesus defeated death so you could have an overcoming life. Jesus defeated death so you can have an overcoming, overflowing life. He defeated death. Isaiah 25, 8, he has swallowed up death forever. You know, the worst thing that could happen to you is that you would die. (laughs) It's pretty good for us because we've already defeated death. Because of the price of Jesus. See, he didn't just die for you. He defeated death for you. You are resurrection worthy. John chapter 14, verse 6. I am the way. The way, way, not a way. Come on, he's the way. He's not just just in the list of ways. He's not my way and not your way. No, no, no. He is the way. He's the only way. He is the truth. He is the life. And no man comes to the Father No man comes to relationship with the Father except through me. I'm the way, I'm the gate, I'm the life, I'm the life for you. You want life? Go to Jesus. He's the way to life. Encounter the risen Jesus. Encounter the risen Christ. How do you encounter the risen Christ? We see some more encounters right here. Back to our passage in John chapter 20. We see Mary, this woman, this disciple, cleansed of demons, following Jesus. She's mourning at the grave. He's the greatest man she's ever known. He's dead now. It says that she was standing outside of the tomb crying. And as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been laying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angel asked her. Because they have taken my Lord away. And I don't know where they have put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus. But she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, if you have taken him away, tell me where have you put him, and I will go and get him. Mary. 
Mary! Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, Rabbi, teacher, it's you. You've been here all along. I didn't recognize you until you said my name. Beloved, can I tell you today that somebody's been standing there. Somebody's been standing there all along. Somebody's been standing there with, with holy anticipation that you would respond to their presence. He's been standing, as you've been here during worship, maybe you were into it, maybe you weren't, maybe you were out of it. But he was standing there all along. But some of you, he said your name. He said, hey. He tapped your shoulder, he touched your heart. He's been there all along. But it's until we hear him call our name. That's the difference. Oh, I know Jesus. I was raised in church. But has he called your name? Have you heard him call your name? Have you, have you responded to the ecclesia, the, the calling out when he called your name? Like Mary did that day. When I was a boy, I want to say I was around eight years old, playing up and down the street. You know, we used to let kids go outside. Back when I was a kid, we would go outside and play. It was crazy. Like we had this big screen, this huge screen that we all got in front of. It was called outside. And so I would go outside and I'd play with my friends up and down the street and I would hear my name being called Josh. Josh. Hey, somebody calling me. Yeah, that one. I don't know why Siri keeps interrupting me during my messages. And see, so, yeah, I wish I. That's exactly what it was. And so I get home later that night. I wouldn't go home immediately, you know, because I was a, a kid. And uh, so I show up at the house, and I'm like, Mom, were you calling me today? No, I wasn't calling you. You weren't calling my name? I heard somebody calling my name. No, no, it wasn't me. I remember, remember specifically another occasion. I'm in my neighbor's backyard swinging on their swing set. Josh! I remember running up to the fence, jumping up on that wooden fence and looking over the fence. You know how you stand up on the fence and look over? I'm like, nobody's out there. Nobody's out there. Nobody's calling my name. I got home later that night. Mom, were you calling me today? No, I wasn't calling you. Did you need something? This, I remember as a kid this happening to me time after time. And about 15 years ago, we were leading worship on a Sunday night in our youth ministry. And I began to sing prophetically. And God began to speak to my heart. And he said, Josh, you remember when you were eight years old? And I said, yeah. He said, remember when you heard your name being called? I was like, yeah, Lord, I remember. He said, that was me. I've been calling you all along. I've been calling you to myself. He's been calling you all along, but will you respond to his voice? It took me 10 years to respond to him calling my name. Finally, I recognized. Finally, I responded to the voice. If you're going... To encounter the Lord, you've got to respond to his voice. How many know that it's never your idea to encounter the Lord? It's always his. It's always his idea. It's always his idea. In fact, John chapter 6 verse 44 says this, that no one can come to the Father unless the Father who sent him draws him. That word in the Greek can be translated dragged. No one can respond unless the Father is wooing you, pulling you in. And today God has been speaking your name. Some of you for the first time that you've heard it. But he's been tugging at your heart, and he's saying, I want you to come. I want you to come on home. I want you to come on into relationship with me. The second thing that we have to do if we're going to encounter the Lord is we have to reach out 
and encounter him. See, sometimes we kind of just put it all off on the Lord. Lord, well, I guess you're just going to have to reveal yourself to me. And there's a guy later on in the passage, we'll continue the story here, a disciple that we all know by name pretty well. His name's Thomas, and we call him Doubting Thomas, right? We call him poor guy, Doubting Thomas. I like to call him Thomas who did doubt. He did doubt for a little while, and it says this about Thomas. This is one of the disciples, John chapter 20, verse 24. One of the disciples, Thomas, was not with the others. See, he wasn't with the disciples when Jesus showed up. He wasn't with them. I would have hated to miss out on that. Come on, you talk about FOMO right there. I mean, that is fear of missing out. They told him, we have seen the Lord. <laughs> He's alive. We've seen him. But he replied, I won't believe. I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands and put my finger into them and place my hand into the wound on his side. Eight days later. <laughs> eight, a week goes by. No, nope. Not until I touch him. The disciples are back together again after eight days, and this time Thomas was with them. <laughs> right place, right time, finally. The Lord, doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, here I am, Thomas. Go ahead and put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound on my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. Look what Jesus didn't say. Thomas, you filthy doubter. No, Jesus shows up. He goes, peace. Everybody relax. Thomas, come here. I know you're skeptical. Why don't you go ahead and let me help you with your doubts? Why don't you just go ahead and, and touch the places? Touch the scars. Touch, touch the wounds in my body. You won't be faithless anymore. You'll believe after you touch me. See, we've got to learn to deal with the doubt. And the way the Lord deals with the doubt is different than the way we think he deals with the doubt. We think he deals with the doubt, so he excommunicates us. No, nope, don't believe peace. Don't let the door hit you with a good Lord split, right? But here's Thomas showing up with doubt. Jesus doesn't excommunicate him. No, no, no. Jesus invites him to explore his reality, to confirm his reality. Your doubts are not an excommunication. Your doubts are an invitation. He's saying, here I am. Come on, touch me. I'm right here in the room with you. Would you, would you just reach out and say, I want you to believe. See, Thomas wasn't asking merely for proof. Anybody other skeptics in here? I'm a skeptic. I'm all alone. Skeptical? Mm, I don't know. I'm sure that y'all are skeptics. See, he he wasn't just asking merely for proof. He was he wanted what the other boys he had, his friends, he wanted what his bros, he wanted what his crew, he wanted what his fam had. He wanted to experience Jesus. He wanted to see for himself like they saw him. He, he wanted that encounter too. See, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't seeking merely for proof. He was seeking an encounter. See, Thomas wasn't asking even to see Jesus. 
He didn't say, unless I see it. No, no, no. He wasn't asking to see Jesus. He was asking to touch Jesus. Unless I touch him. Unless I can feel. I mean, it'll be good to see him, but I want to touch the man. It has transformed his life. See, I don't believe that Thomas was a defiant doubter. I believe he was just eager for an encounter. You can keep calling him Doubting Thomas. I'm not going to. Because from this encounter, we see Thomas enter into a missionary journey that leads him thousands of, ways, thousands of miles away to a land called India before there were flights and vehicles. Go and look how far India is from Jerusalem, thousands of miles away. And Thomas is speared through his body, through his body. Vertically for Jesus. How could he endure that? Because he said, unless I touch him, unless I touch him. And it's that point when he believed. So, beloved, reach out. Reach out. He's here. He's in the room. He's calling your name. Will you just reach out? Thomas, he. He's saying, Nathan, will you just reach out? He's saying, Pastor Emma, would you just reach out and touch me? He's saying, Josh, would you just touch, just reach me? I'm here. I'm here in the room. Saying, Madison, we, I'm here in the room. Just go ahead. Touch me. Please explore my reality. I'm here. I'm not bothered by your doubts. He's calling you to an encounter. Some of you. We felt this last night. We, our, the most important ministry we have here at the church isn't the kids' ministry or this youth ministry they have on Sunday mornings or the worship ministry or the preaching ministry. The most important ministry we have in our church is the ministry we do when we minister to God on Saturday nights. It's called the furnace, and we get together and we pray. That's ministering to God. You pray and you worship the Lord. It's the most important ministry we have at the church. There's not a lot of us show up. Not a lot of people are interested in ministering to Jesus. So we were here last night, we're praying. We walk around the room and we prayed for you. We prayed for those seats that you're sitting in. Even you, Benny, we prayed for that chair right there. If you're sitting in a seat today, God, we prayed over last night, we prayed, Lord, we pray that you would encounter these people in a real way. And so as we're here and we're worshiping, I felt like the Lord said, you know what I want to do tomorrow? I said, we said, man, Easter is always a great time for people to come and know the Lord, like for the first time. That's usually the focus. But this is what the Lord, I think, was revealing to us. He said, I want to encounter people in such a real way that there's a renewal that's happening. There's a renewal. Uh, Pastor Brooke gave this language to it this morning. She said, a reawakening. And see, some of you, you've known the Lord. You've had experiences with the Lord, but it's grown dormant. Some of you have, you, everything about Jesus in your life is something that happened decades, months, years ago. But, but he's not the resurrected Christ in your life right now. You're not experiencing him now in your life. It's just dormant. It's just stale. Some of you, it's just clockwork. It's just what I do. I'll go to church, and then I'll kind of live my life. And I'm not, listen, I'm not judging your sincerity, but what I'm telling you is God has more for you than that. Jesus wants to be involved in the daily. He wants to reawaken. And I believe today, in this moment, when we minister to you in just a moment, we believe the hearts are going to be reawakened. We believe that some of you that feel like you've been in a grave with your spirituality, that it's been dormant, it's been dark, God's going to reignite it and light you up. It's time for a new level.
It's time for a new season. It's time for a new Sunday for you. We don't want to have church. We don't want to just come and have church, church as usual. I'm done with that. That does nothing for me. I want to encounter the Lord. So what is keeping you? My question today. What is keeping you from Jesus? What is keeping you from responding to his voice or reaching out and touching him? And the first thing that we all go to is sin. We might not say it, but in our hearts we think it. We go, well, I've got this thing, and I know that God expects me to be holy. And you're absolutely right. He does expect you to be holy. And God, listen, God expects perfect righteousness. But guess what? Jesus fulfilled perfect righteousness. Perfect righteousness was fulfilled for you. So Jesus is the way to righteousness. It's not on your efforts. It's not on your works. It's not on how little you sin. God wants to recreate a fresh and living way for you. See, Jesus didn't, didn't die because it would make a great story. Jesus died because it was the only way that we could be made right and be made right in a relationship with God. It was the only way. Somebody had to pay and deal with the sin, so Jesus did. So when you come to God, you don't become a little bit better than you used to be. You don't add Jesus. He's not a modification to your life. Well, I'm just doing this, and up, come on, Jesus, hop on. Okay, you can take the wheel right now because I'm in danger. What, the problem is, 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 is he didn't have the wheel in the first place. <laughs> the problem is, is you want him... You, you, you want him to drive your car when you're in trouble. What you need to do is you need to get out of your car and ride in his. <laughs> you won't ever have to ask him to take the wheel. Anyway, don't know if all, how that all pans out. You'll, you'll sort it out in your mind later. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We have this thing we call sanctification. And sanctification just means that, hey, you're, you're, becoming, you're looking more like Jesus as time goes by. That's basically what we mean when we say sanctification. And so what many people think is my righteousness is indicated by my sanctification. Am I becoming more like Jesus than I'm righteous? No, 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 You got it wrong. That's the old way. The new way is this. You are made righteous, and now sanctification is happening in your life. Now because you are righteous, you practice righteousness. Before, you were a sinner, so you practice sin. Now you're righteous, so you practice righteousness. It's just what you do. You don't get closer to God because you sin less. You come closer to God because you come to Jesus. Then you sin less. If you're sinning more than you were six months ago, and you go, it's just a good, no, you're missing it. You need to get into Jesus. How righteous do you have to be? As righteous as God is, it's pretty righteous. I mean, how am I going to be that righteous? Through Jesus. Only one way to become that righteous. That's the righteousness that God requires. And so Jesus took care of it. You can become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. As if you never sinned. How? By believing, receiving, and trusting Jesus. The second excuse that people give is timing. Well, it's just not time, you know. It's adjustments. I'm going through this court case. I've just got a new job. I'm trying to make some adjustments in my life before I give myself fully to Jesus. Let me tell you something. This is the thought. Right? 
let me get things sorted out, and then I'll surrender my life to Jesus. Let me deal with all my issues. You will never sort things out. It's like, it's like when people say, I'm going to wait till I'm ready to get married. You ain't ever ready to get married. I was not saying you shouldn't wait. Some of y'all should wait. But no matter what you do, you ain't going to be ready. Because you gotta, you got to die every day. That's what marriage is. But it's a life-giving dying. Come on. All right. That's free. Well, that's, I know it's a Valentine's Day quote, but there you go. Just tuck it into Easter. All right. <laughs> timing. Beloved, the timing is now. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. You know when the time was? 2,000 years ago when Jesus took care of and sorted your life out on the cross. That's when the timing was right. And all you have to do today is respond to what Jesus already did. The time is now. The third thing, and I've lumped these things together. First of all, is pride. I don't need God. I'm pretty good. Well, not compared to Jesus, and he's the standard. Somebody is like, I don't want anybody to see. I don't want to be vulnerable. People will think I'm weak. Pride. Doubt is the next one. We've talked a little bit about doubt today. I just don't know. I just don't know. I know. I get there. I get you. I'm with you. I'm a skeptic as well. I just don't know. But do you know just a little bit? I know just a little bit. God can work with that. The other is anger. Some of you are mad. At God. You're mad at God because the life that you've, quote, unquote, been dealt. I can tell you most of the time when people blame God for their scenarios, usually it's not a scenario that God was even involved in. Usually it's something that wicked people were, that have a free will were involved in, and God was out there going, hey, I can help if you just invite me in. What do you do with your anger? What do you do with your pride? What do you do with your doubts? Well, with your pride... The scripture says, humble yourself before the sight of God, and he will lift you up. He will exalt you. <clears throat> Those that have doubts, you do what Thomas did. You say, Lord, I want you. I want to touch you. And he's saying, come on, explore me. And the other is anger. What do you do? What do I do when I'm mad at God? You tell him. Not in an arrogant way, but you tell him, say, God, I've been mad at you. Because I feel like that you've done this in my life. I feel like you took this person from me. I feel like you took this job. I feel like you took this parent. I feel like you gave this disease. Again, most of the time, you're wrong in your assessment of what God did. And your anger is misplaced. However, be brutally honest with God because he already knows what you're thinking. Jesus wants to answer your objections, beloved. He wants to answer your objections. He's not bothered by your anger. He's not bothered by your doubt. He's not bothered by it. He's saying, come. I'm calling your name. I'm right here in the room with you. I'm calling you. Would you just touch me? Here I am. John chapter 8, verse 24. Unless you believe that I am Jesus says, I am. He's not just saying, I am. He's saying, I am God in the flesh. Unless you believe that I am, who I 
claim to be. Who he claims to be. Not this European Jesus figure that didn't rise from the dead. Not blonde-haired, blue-eyed American Jesus, but who Jesus really is. God in the flesh. The greatest love we could ever imagine takes on flesh, hates sin, takes sin to the cross, rises from the dead. Unless you believe I am who I claim to be, you will die in your sins. I don't want to die in my sins.